welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley, and to my east is Bianca Mangum. Hello. And way up to the northwest, we have William Ennis. Hello. All right. First of all, actually, I want to call people's attention. It'll be several weeks old by the time people get this, but David Peterson recently gave a an interview to the Sword and Laser podcast. It's Sword and Laser number 68, I believe. I'll link it. I think anybody interested in Dothraki might want to look at it. It's not very technical at all. It doesn't have much information about the language, but it, I think it's a very good interview. It has some interesting stuff about how it is working for a production company and with actors and stuff. Actually, I'd love to hear what the actors have to say. I'd probably be a bastard actor and be like, why do I have to speak the stupid made-up crap? Apparently, uh, apparently some actors refused to come back for second interviews for um, Avatar because they, uh, wanted to, they, they wanted to see how well they could speak and emote in non-English and so they made them invent gibberish on the spot which apparently some of them didn't care for. That's actually really hard because I remember when I was in college I was taking a Spanish class and it was a conversation thing and like our final project was actually to do a play in Spanish which was fun and an easy A but it's kind of hard to maintain everything that you've learned while also overlaying the emotion. Sure. So I can do that. And perform. Uh-huh. Yeah. You've been hanging around with speakers in tongues? Uh, no. I just can do that. <laughs> I suppose that's a useful skill for a conlanger. <laughs> Yeah, we'll try doing it in front of a bunch of people. See how nope. well you do. No, no. <laughs> All right. Anyway, shall we jump into our topic? Sure. Yes. Yes. All right. What we're going to talk about today is formality and registers. All languages have formal and informal registers. And how that's marked can range from some pragmatic conventions about sense structures to full-on morphological politeness systems like you see in Korean or Japanese. So there's a huge broad number of ways you can show formality, politeness, the fact that you're talking to a different audience. So we just wanted to go over a few different ways that that occurs in natural languages and what options you have when you're looking at your conlang, when you want to try to realistically portray how people talk differently in different situations. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can go with it. And I think it depends on what you want, obviously. I always start saying this, like, it depends. But it's so true, because, I mean... In my first conlang, I didn't add any formality, direct formality. I don't even think there's secondary formality, just because they're very direct people. It seemed unnecessary. And 
then with my second one, I went the complete opposite direction. I added like a three-way system, like I believe Hindi has, um, marked on the second person, kind of like Spanish, but instead of um, tu y usted, it's familiar, informal, and formal. If that makes okay. any sense. Yeah, yeah, that does. Okay. And find- of course, oh, sorry. Nope, go ahead. I said it, and of course, there's plenty of ways in between rather than the direct, just making a pronoun for it. There wasn't much there, so <laughs> you can cut that out. Yeah, uh, Will? Um, it's really hard for me sometimes to think about all of these issues because you have to disentangle a whole bunch of things. You can have, it's like a, a three or four way demonstrative pronoun system. You have humility on the part of the speaker, which may be expressed or not, potentially. You may have respect for the person spoken to. You may need to mark respect for the topic being addressed, which may or may not be the same as the person you're talking to. And you have to take into account your audience. Yeah. And, and it's possible to be formal and mind-bogglingly rude. Or you can be very informal and still, you know, be polite and respectful. And gosh, every language picks their own group and gloms them together in, frankly, not very neat piles. If I tried to speak Korean, I think my brain would just melt down and I would collapse (laughs) into, I mean, I would have to, you know, I would be a sociopath or near autistic at trying to speak Korean because I would never know what the appropriate level I'm supposed to be I can't even is. imagine Korean. I f- oh, sorry. Um, I mess up Spanish all the time. And just because I'm lazy and I just use to all the time, don't care. Yeah, to be honest, it probably doesn't bother people very much. It, it depends on the situation, I'll tell you. Like 90% of the time, the situations I've been in, it doesn't matter. But there are a couple of times where it did matter, and I noticed, and I was like, crap. Uh, yeah. And the thing is, the same formality thing, something that seems like the same formality thing, uh, can have different meanings. I have a, a little story to illustrate this, okay? We were talking earlier about second-person pronouns, and that's one of the very simple formality constructions you can have having a familiar or informal or an informal informal pronoun. Spanish has it in the form of tú and usted, and Mandarin has it, Mandarin Chinese, in the form of ni and nin. When I was learning Chinese, I was in China studying, and uh, we had an assignment to write a letter to our parents, or I wrote to my mother, and in, in Chinese, and I wrote ni, which is the informal you form. And I thought that because in Spanish you would use tu with your parents. Am I right, uh, Bianca? Yeah. yeah. Actually, I'll comment on this later when you're done with your story. Yeah. Okay. But then... It came back to be, it was corrected to Nian, which I don't think this is universal, but it seems like some Chinese think that 
you can use Nyin with your parents because you're supposed to be showing respect to your elders. Okay. That was my story. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to quickly say, in Persian, I think that you would address your parents with the... Not not with the informal form. You'd you'd use the formal one, usually. I mean, that's why I think this is such a complicated thing to get at in both natural languages and constructed languages because it's so socially dependent to be able to use it properly you have to know the pragmatics you have to know societally how these things are working and without that i mean you can make your best guess but you know what's right in one place is not right in the other place and like it makes perfect sense for me from what I know of Chinese culture for, you know, to use, I could actually see it going either way, to use the formal or informal version with your parents. In fact, I think one of the things I found really odd, I think you use the informal in Spanish when talking to God. Right. Yeah. I would think, like, I thought, oh, no, you definitely use the formal there. That's true in and older well, forms of English, though. That's where um, yeah. thou referring to God comes from. It's that was a familiar form. For me, I'd be like, yes, that's definitely formal. And then, of course, I was wrong. So it's socially how these things are done. And, of course, if you want to add it in your conlang, you need to have the con culture to know how to add it. So that's a, an interesting thing about using the, the familiar pronoun with God, we can think about the theology of that, but it, it reminds me of the situation of classical Nahuatl, the language of the, the Aztec Empire, um, has two interesting tricks for marking formality. The first one is it tends to do uh, a funny trick on its verbs, is it will take a hapless verb and it will make it either a causative or an applicative, but then turn around and make it a reflexive. So you've added two syllables without really changing the meaning of the word because they've canceled each other out, right? One adds mm-hmm. valency, one removes. Um, but now you've got a longer verb, which is really fun to read. Um, the other thing that's really fascinating is the normal way of marking respect for people and people's things is to make them diminutive. Weird. Yeah. Wait, so that's, that's respect. That's respect. Diminutive is respect. Yep. See, you're blowing our minds. Yeah. See, <laughs> and people have tried to figure out what's going on there. Um, it also adds an interesting, an interesting questions to the first pieces of reporting about the encounter of the Spanish and the, the, the Aztecs, because what might have come off as obsequious might have been sarcasm. <laughs> right? So there's all sorts of interesting questions, just historically from, from us realizing that. And modern Nahuatl has the same sort of thing, where you might have up to four different levels of formality in the language. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Now that I thought about it. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, I forgot. Oh, I was going to say, um, is it fairly universal that um, more formal markings are longer? Because I don't know. 
It sure seems that way. It seems that way, but I don't have, like, a very big view of this. Well, think about uh, the way English marks politeness and formality. Often say, rather than saying, uh, get me a glass of water, you say, could you get me a glass of water? Same meaning, basically, but slightly longer structure and with with a slightly pulled-back thing. Yeah, so, like, in English, you get a lot of helper verbs, like, would you please do this for me? And I think you get the same type of thing in German along with the pronouns. Um, Spanish, also the same type of thing, but, you know, these are all related languages, and I don't really know that much outside of it. Yeah, for a long time, formal Chinese went the direction of brevity. Hmm. Yes. With lots of different pronouns to pick from when to, to really just pick out the, the perfect level of ah. thing. But I don't and, – and a modern formal written Chinese sort of mixes and matches the sort of the classical language in modern. But I don't know. That's yeah. a really good question. Um, it seems like written language in Chinese tends to be slightly briefer because yeah. they will use – classical terms that are one syllable rather than the koyu, the spoken term, which would be two syllables, things or like that. Two or three, yeah. Hmm. Although, this takes me to sort of another issue, since we're in the, we're in the, the Sino-Tibetan family. The, in the Tibetan language, they have a large parallel vocabulary for all sorts of common items and actions which are used when speaking of someone for whom you have respect. So, my hand and my father's hand are a different word. <laughs> and there's a lot of this vocabulary. And I think, I think Javanese does the same thing. I think this is not an uncommon, an uncommon no, it, thing. No, it sounds fairly reasonable, but it also sounds like a pain in the ass. To memorize? Yeah. Yes. Especially when, like, when you're starting and you want to say something... And then they're like, no, no, use this word. And you're like, what's the difference? You'd be like, because you know a native speaker is going to be like, eh, just use this one. Yeah. And then you're going to be like, why? <laughs> I presume that uh, children take a while to learn these. I, I would expect so. Actually, I'm not sure. Well, again, I think this depends on pragmatics. I think you might be using that kind of thing more as a child. Because a lot of people would be, you know. Sure, but even in Japan, kids get a free. Well. They get off for a while because it does take a while to learn. That's the, true. The rules about I mean, when when which is supposed to be used for whom. I mean, just the Japanese verbs for to give must. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that kind of takes us into, you know, the different ways to do it. You talked about the parallel vocabulary. Japanese and Korean have, I believe it's different verb forms mainly. Different verb forms and different pronoun forms. Yeah. To the degree the Japanese ever uses them, but yeah. Yeah. Although Japanese pronouns are kind of an open set, right? Right. And let's see... You can drink now because I'm talking about Chinese again. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, Chinese has a little bit in written and spoken versus spoken form, I know, with just even like 
conjunctions like and has four different words. Yeah, that's what happens when you have two and a half millennia of literacy. I think that's that's a that's a that's a register more than a politeness matter. Yeah. But they get conflated so easily. That's right. Well, that's the problem. This is why I have a hard time thinking about this sometimes. Is this a formal issue? Is this a respect issue? And what's Korean is magnificent because it marks at least three of these potentially on a single <laughs> verb form. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I consider them all the same. I don't think I could separate them if I wanted to. Hmm. I often kind of try to figure out the motivation behind various politeness things. Like... The way I figure through the the pronouns in Spanish versus Chinese is I think of Spanish being more about setting the emotional distance and thus no family member wants to be called usted because they're supposed to be close to you. And the Chinese being more about respect. But I'm, you know, that's probably a gross oversimplification. Of Still, that's, a, I mean, for someone inventing a language, that's too useful. That's a useful axis to think about. Indeed. I mean, plus then we have the whole, con- the whole mm, phenomenon in Australia of the mother-in-law registers. Oh, no, not these again. Yes, right. So if, if, you're, <laughs> if you're in the presence of the opposite sex in-law, so if you're a man in the presence of your mother-in-law or a woman in the presence of your father-in-law, there may be a slightly different way of speaking, or in a few cases, there may be an almost entirely different way of speaking, or the grammar is the same, but the vocabulary of thousands of words may exist, and that you have to use in the presence of, and not just of those relatives, but a whole slew of, of, of different relatives, usually of the opposite sex. So that adds yet another layer of difficulty, right? You need to speak informally but respectfully of your grandmother in front of your mother-in-law. Yeah. I mean, family seems to play a large part in this just because, well, family's family, I guess. (laughs) But, you know, there's in-law family, which is different. I think Uh I complained about this last episode when I was like, we need a better word for in-law. When you're not actually married. Why don't you... A lot of people will call their significant other's parents mom and dad. Do you, don't you do that? or? No, I call them my... I call them mother-in-law. <laughs> Which is really confusing to people. I'm like, are you married? I'm like, no. I think uh, Chinese... But I don't see them anywhere Chinese. as much as my parents. What? Hmm? Okay. Chinese uses terms that are equivalent basically to aunt and uncle. Yeah. That would be weird. But anyway, pulling a little bit closer to the topic, I think, um, what was I going to (laughs) say? Good question. Um, What about languages losing and or gaining formality? Because that happens. English had the pronouns at one point. Obviously, we don't use them anymore. But we have other ways of marking formality. Yes. People do. So it changes. People do tend to think of English as a more informal language. I think we're just Uh, a more informal culture. I think it might have to do more with things like 
writing versus speaking. Although, you know, you use more Latin and French roots in writing than speaking, but otherwise they're very similar when you compare to, say, Chinese has very different written and spoken registers. As far as politeness is concerned, I think the English system probably is about as complex as the mean. It's maybe not as complex as Korean, but it's... <laughs> yeah, we conceal a lot of the complexity in... That's in true. ...turning things into phrases and, and, and subtle word choices rather than overt things like, oh God, I can't even conjugate this verb unless I know how polite I'm being. We don't do that. I mean, but what's I interesting... Think... To... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, we all... There are ways to be formal in English, but even so, I feel like those are kind of going out of style. Because, God, some people I work with couldn't be polite to save their lives. Um. <laughs> um, another thing with English is the level of formality and the level of politeness seems to me to be reciprocal. If someone is in a situation where they're speaking formally, the same structures will be used on either side, regardless of, like, power or anything. Oh, or yeah. Sometimes, oh. Sometimes that. language... Sometimes language will be used to sort of symbolically reverse the power structure, it seems like. I was gonna... I should have said something on this earlier. Um, when I was teaching... I had a lot of students from different places. And, like, here we tend to be more informal with our classes. And then, like, I had students asking me, like, what should we call you? Should we call you, you know, Professor Bianca? I'm like, no, no, definitely not that. And they're like, Miss Bianca? I'm like, no, just call me Bianca. They're like, really? And I was like, yeah, I think you're all older than me. So I think Bianca's fine. <laughs> and it's just a cultural thing as well. So... And, like, at the same time, like, I'd feel really weird if, you know, someone was calling me, like, Miss Bianca, like the mouse. But, um, <laughs> you know, and then I just called them by their first name. For me, I'd be like, I'm being a real douchebag right now. So I'd switch to the same type of register. Certainly a, a, a register switch in the middle of a conversation can communicate a message. Well, right. I if you go, if, if 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 you're with your, you know, some friends, and this is harder to do in English, but certainly I know I had a friend who experienced it in Hindi. I, I don't remember the situation, but suddenly her friend switched to a very formal register, and this was not because the situation was formal, but was because she was being scolded for acting hoity-toity. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember. My sister and her husband taught in Japan for a while, and they learned a little bit of Japanese, and they told me that oftentimes sort of an, an emotional distance thing go, goes into the politeness system, and there are times when someone who you would normally use only uh, plain forms with, if they switch to uh, polite forms, I believe... Uh, the, it was meaning that uh, they weren't happy with you, or may, they might be very, very angry with you, actually. Mm -hmm. 
Hmm. Yeah, there's different things that sort of switch can 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 signify. It can it can be rude or you know, a little tease, or it can be an indicator of, of something more significant like that. There's just so many things you can do with a, a switch like that. Yeah. And there's and there's situations where you are deliberately rude for one reason or another. Yeah, that's the great thing about really languages with really obvious, overt politeness and formality is it makes it so much easier to be rude without resorting to, <laughs> to, to, to vulgar words. <laughs> uh, I think that's one of the lovely things about language is that you can get all these subtleties that I guess the author of Ladon would hate because then we'd have to be overt about how we're <laughs> distrustful. <laughs> but I, I like the subtleties. They're interesting. You, you asked earlier about if there are languages in the process of, of losing or, or gaining formality. I know that when I took Japanese in college, one of my instructors was unhappy with the formality system in his language because he he thought it was he thought it was old fashioned. But there right, you can't produce a correct sentence of Japanese without using <laughs> it. So. Yeah. I mean they can gain or lose or just change into something else different. And you know, I can't imagine doing it every day. Like obviously I do it in English, but it's just not the same. I recall hearing, and this is sort of half remembered, so forgive me if I'm if I mess up on this, but I recall reading that Korean has one politeness form that has mostly died out, but you will hear it in historical dramas, and some people have taken it up to use on the internet. Yeah, anime kids. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think that's kind of... I, 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 that amuses me that I'm entertained by that. I like that. I approve of that. Yeah, I don't like it when people like try and bring something back. Be like, no, this is the way it was. It should be like this. But I do like it when people are like, let's use this and just change it for something else. Because it's hilarious. Repurpose stuff. Yes. Yeah, but but... As Bianca was saying, these things churn through time like the rest of language. So even in English, right, our, we don't normally in English just tell people to do things except kids and really close friends. We, 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 do, a, a, we do a negative face strategy, right? We ask them questions. Could you hand me that book? We're not oh. asking if they're capable of that. We're, we're requesting that they actually do that. And it has become so ingrained that this is how you make a command that you can use a question command. Won't you get that out of here? That all politeness, which was the original motivation for that <laughs> form, is gone. And that's just uh, how we ask people to do things. Oh, that reminds me of a great... Sorry, I feel like I cut you off. That reminds me from a great story when I was teaching. And I was actually going over the politeness and it was be like, would you do mo- help me with my homework? Could you help me with my homework? Uh, some other question. And I think the last one I had them do, because I'm a horrible teacher, was like, you will help me with my homework now, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> It was well, like, um, there were like the nice question ones, and then at the end, like, you just have the command, and it just seems so rude. Like, even to me, I wouldn't say that without adding some sort of curse word at the end of it. Right. Yeah. So, um, 
And I know somebody who, again, so that's one convention. You don't do that. And other <laughs> things that we would think of as perfectly nor- normal politeness, like how often Americans at least say thank you. If you go to China and say xie xie all the time, I mean, I know of one guy who got the nickname xie xie shencheng, which means Mr. Thank You, because he said this all the time. <laughs> yeah. Nobody oh, more, far more often than happens in when I in, did that. Pardon? That also happened to me in England. Well, actually, kind of the reverse. I felt that English people were rude because they'd say ta instead of thanks. And I'm like, if you're not going to bother to say the word all the way, what's the point? Yep. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You need to adjust to the culture, Bianca. Well, you in can adjust in to me. China, <laughs> the, the sort of culture of that, that sort of politeness culture is kind of different because I notice when, like, ordering at restaurants or going to a shop, there is not as much polite language going on to my ear. What you, what Chinese, uh, like, waiters and stuff, and I'm talking in, like, a noodle shop, will say to you, if you translate it to English, it sounds quite rude. It's like, what are you going to eat? <laughs> Things like that. Yeah, not even in, like... I don't know, like, uh, I got a burger today. Like, if they said that to me while I was there, I'd be like, what the hell? And I mean, I don't think of English being that polite, but, like, I think our service industry is, like, forced to have that stable register of politeness. Hmm. That's interesting. You were going to talk about, we were talking about uh, repurposing things. You made a note here about Tu, vos, and usted in some yeah. dialects of Spanish, which yeah. is a repurposing. It is a bit, I'm not sure how it came about, and I'm not actually too formal with it, familiar with it myself. Now I got confused with familiar and formal. Mm. Um, but I was reading about it, and apparently there is like a four way distinction in Chilean Spanish where if you use vos with like the voceo form of the verb, that's your most familiar. And then you can use tu with the voceo form, which is still pretty unfamiliar. And then tu con the tu form, which is, you know, pretty average. And then usted con, you know, usted form verb, which would be the formal version. So that ends up being four different versions, even though we're still only taught in school, like tu and usted. That's Which I thought was interesting because I never picked up on it. I don't really... Actually, we don't get any Chilean TV here, so whatever. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and, it's, and it's an interesting reversal because if I understand correctly, Vos actually historically was a formal form. And I it don't got pushed think out so. by Vuestra, Vuestra Merced, which became Usted. Well, anyway. I think it might be a long time, just like French vous. Yeah. But vos has been informal forever now, I think. I don't know. It's a shame we don't have Torco anymore. He could tell us. <laughs> yeah, he could, he could uh, correct uh, any mistakes on this. Yeah, Maybe. the way English is taught in the U.S., I think, underplays the great varieties of Spanish available. You mean the way Spanish is taught in the U.S.? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, English in the U.S. as well, but... I think they mostly teach... 
sort of Mexican slash Colombian Spanish. They teach a pretty general South American, but they don't teach any vos. So I had to do like a presentation. I did like a presentation on Mafalda, which is actually a really good comic. And of course they use vos. And I had to like go through the first couple minutes explaining what the hell vos was, because even though these kids, well, not kids, because they're the same age as me in my class, have been taking Spanish for like seven years, it never came up. And I was just like, really? You know, vos is not like some strange thing that only happens in like a limited area. I was taught a little bit about vos and its usage in Argentina, which I believe is uh, where it's actually an intermediary between two and usted. I I don't know about that. I'd say it's lower, just I'm because sure. I'm not sure either. I don't really know much about Argentina, but I think vos is prototypically Argentinian, I think. Or at least that's what it's attributed to. And then what I don't use ever, even though much to the shame of my professors who are Spanish, I never use vosotros. Like, I'm used to hearing it now just because they have some good movies from Spain. But, God, I'd never use it. It would be so weird to me. (laughs) (laughs) Someone, I'm sure someone has done a study trying to figure out what sort of substrate effects might be going on so that each region of South and Central America has their own way of doing these things might be might reflect practices of of now dying native languages so one of my my favorite ways of marking politeness is all throughout mesoamerica um it's very common to have a huge vocabulary of verbs to describe posture oh and and, and i forget i forget the language but there's one that refers to a human being sitting on the edge of a hammock swinging there. <laughs> and apparently that's normally how the, the local bigwig makes decisions. So to be respectful of that person, every verb gets this postural verb suffix with the implication. <laughs> I was going to add that to a nyauk and I forgot completely. <laughs> Crap. So, so that's, uh, you know, that's, that's an int- again, you never know. How this sort of politeness marking is gonna is gonna pop up? Uh, apparently, I think Hindi or s- some Indian language uses a, a double causative hmm. as a way to elevate the person you're speaking to. The idea is that not only do they have servants, but they have so many servants that the servants ask other servants to do things. <laughs> so you don't ask them to pass the sugar; you have them cause it to be passed to you. That sounds like Aladdin. I think there's a quote. Be like, I'm so rich, I have servants who go to the marketplace for my servants. Right, right. Anyway. Um, that might be a just-so story about how a double causative comes to do this. It might just be because, it, you know, it's longer and that sounds more... Well, don't go off my Disney movie story, okay? Um, uh, I believe... the. I think the takeaway, actually, from a lot of this is... There's just a whole lot of ways you can go when you are designing how to mark formality and politeness. And you don't necessarily have to go with 
uh, Japanese-style verb forms or nothing. You can do all sorts of, you know, it's a different sentence structure, or you're using some verse. A lot of times we're talking about structures that are repurposed from other parts of the language. Sure. And don't be lazy like me and just add extra pronouns. No, that's a great system. I like that. It's a nice system, but it's also the lazy system. Well, if it's it's not lazy if you come up with 50 of them. <laughs> the it is when you only good. have three. Yeah, I, I will say my very first language, Yeltach, had... My original idea was for three pronouns, and since they had sort of a military-esque society, we had a pronoun referring to the guy who was above you, who could give you orders, uh, the guy who was your equal, and the guy who you could give orders to. Sure. I mean, I think that's how, especially in classical Chinese, a lot of those... Nouns are co-opted to become pronouns that mean exactly that sort of, exactly that sort of thing. Yeah, and and I mean, on the topic of register, I have at least one language where I have a, a separate register just for poetry. So certain grammatical structures are different. There's a, a pretty substantial vocabulary, alternate vocabulary available if it suits metrical purposes. Actually. Do either of you use a different dialect with different registers? Because I know I do. Yes. Are I know. English? Yeah. Or- I do. I When I speak to my boyfriend's family, I have an English accent. But if I had to like give a speech in front of them, I'd use my American accent. That's interesting. People from Maine have this really weird accent they put on the instant they start to tell a joke. <laughs> I have not heard it, so... Yeah, no, the maniac accent, it's pretty... I had a roommate in college who just told a joke once. I'm like, what are you talking? <laughs> See, I just have... I can pick up different English dialects very quickly. For some reason, it doesn't happen with other non-English languages. But for my native language of English, I can pick up other people's... Uh, accents, dialects, fairly quickly. So whatever I end up, what if I live, I, if I stay in an English-speaking country or a different region for more than say a week, I can get into that accent. But it's an, it's like semi-involuntary. I can't, I can't, I can hardly sort of control it. I can just fight to bring back my American accent. Yeah, that's kind of how it went for me. Although, now I'm better at separating it, just because I've been switching so long. Well, uh, shall we switch over, over to featured conlang here? I yes. Think we, I think we killed sure. that topic. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough topic to think about. It's, we could yeah, talk about it, that all night, but, you know. Yeah. For our listeners... You will be thankful for my editing because there's actually quite a bit of dead space in there. <laughs> so we stop to think, wait, what's the difference between? Yeah. We so, did have a good hour on that, so. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about our featured conlang, which is Teonas. Yes. From the 90s in a time yes. capsule of a web page. Yes. 
Teonoth was created by Sally Caves for her fantasy race, the Teonim, a race of humanoids with 12 fingers and 12 toes who live on the fictional island of Teon, which periodically appears and then submerges in the Black or Caspian Seas. Yes, she wrote that. Granted, she started this conlang when she was a teenager, you say? I I forget when, but she's pretty young when it first started. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I read somewhere that she she was like a little girl when she actually started for the first part, and she was thinking about it being a language for flying cats. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. The idea. So the idea did uh, grow up a little bit. So. Oh, see, I was looking at the picture and I was like, this looks a lot like the flying monkey from Pirates of the Dark Water. <laughs> if anyone watched that cartoon. Anyway. <laughs> the flying cat, I think, is now the, their people's symbol. Like they worship a flying cat or something. That, that makes more sense. I'd worship <laughs> a flying cat. To tell the truth, looking at the the stuff, it is very, it is it is it is quite interesting. There's quite a lot of interesting features in it. It's very sensitive to agency. Yes, which I don't expect to find very often in a language that otherwise has a vaguely European flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was saying, when I looked at this, I, I was not expecting to, to see a language that reminded me of Dakota. Mm-hmm. And yet it does. The The language used to describe it, uh, or the the grammatical terms used to describe it, wouldn't match with Dakota, but it's basically what it is. And the rest of the verb system, a lot of really clever thinking about valency and, and, and other stuff has gone into there. It's really hard to parse anything out of this for me. Just because it's like a website from the 90s. It's so badly organized, it kills me. Yeah. Really? I thought this, uh, compared to its peers of the time. That's true. Like, for the. Brilliant. Let me take a time capsule back 10 years. Let's see. I was 12. It is. Yeah. It's actually quite. Well organized, actually. It's the the organization is not the problem. The problem for me is the web web design. But you know, it's an old site. Yes. So many conlangs use these really old sites. You, some people need to get on like Squarespace or download WordPress on their server or something. Or you know, just type it up and do a nice PDF where you can make it look good, and I can be happy with some tables and some glossing. <laughs> so this is before your, your gloss crusade, so we cannot hold her responsible. That's, yes, I was 12. I, I'm not, not going to like complain. Actually, I was 10, just kidding. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. I was going to harp on the IPA, but this was 98. Of course she wasn't going to put an IPA. Um, Only Sampa would have been available. Yeah, I mean, that's when Xampa was fine. Yeah. Of there course, was, there now. was no Unicode then. <laughs> yes. Then, uh, yeah, a lot of this, uh, I think that, that she sort of describes things in terms of English a lot. But Yes. Oh, it's fine. But, I mean, it's yeah. all right. I mean, the other language we did, Shamel or something, 
we also had very Englishy terminology, but that wasn't really an issue. Yeah. <laughs> of course, that one was more Germanic, so... Yeah, Shameld, uh that didn't bother me too much, because it is a Germanic language, and it has a lot of similarities with English in the first place, so... Yes. Here, it's grammar. a little bit more difficult, because of the agency thing, which... I don't know, it was kind of reminding me of these American languages. I didn't yes. even pick up that it was European just because I got stuck on the agency thing. And for all we know, she has some sort of revision in the works that'll make this better, but... I don't know, I'd like... Maybe she died. No, that's horrible. No, um, no she's still alive. <laughs> okay, good. Um, well, we know this. I think she gave a talk at an LCC, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she needs to update this. Because <laughs> I feel like there's a lot interesting going on here. I'm like trying to parse from the sample sentences with the English ones. But ooh, it's hard ooh. for me to grasp onto it. She has articles that are marked for agency. Yep. Agentative, participatory, accusative, and oblique, and genitive. That's in the definite articles. Yes. This I was happy. Oh, sorry. Oh, go, go ahead. I was going to say, the thing I was happy to find was um, static versus active pronoun, not pronouns, Verbs? at positions, Ad I positions. think. Yes. Unless, yeah, I was, uh, I was like, I think that's my new kick. I was really happy about that. Yeah. This this is how I roll, people. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm searching through this thing as I'm recording and finding <laughs> new stuff. She has like well, five NAM classes and such. I mean, there's even a nice broken link in there. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a few broken links in her grammar. I think she... Yeah, that makes me sad because as much as I like a nice chart of a conjugation table, I really want to know about syntax, and that's what's missing here, unfortunately. There's plenty of examples of the language, which helps. Um, I would really love to see a slightly better presentation of a few texts. I mean, otherwise, I mean, this is what we have is extremely thorough and well done. And it's just like we had the comment a few weeks ago from someone, you know, saying a lot of, you know, something that's really worked out is, is, is worthy of a little more respect than simply a sketch. And this definitely follows into that situation, in my opinion. I think this probably would benefit from the fact she's been working on it so long that you do get those little details which... You know, if you just start a sketch, you're not going to get... Um, but, God, I, like, I don't want to complain about it so much because I think there's a lot more there to offer and I just can't get to it because, you know, the organization is counterintuitive to me, at the very least, and the romanization is hideous. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's, yeah, um, if I had to guess, I would guess that is one of the big holdovers from the earliest stages. An English, an L1 English speaker inventing their first languages when they're young. Yes. Produces things where O with a squiggle is pronounced O. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, the Y is an E. I don't my, think... My initial romanization for Yeltach was... Not that great. Not very aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I think if she were to redo this, she would change it. At least I would hope she would. I mean, having the H in front of the thing 
in front of a consonant to be the aspiration drives me nuts. Well, it's fricatives, actually. It makes me, well, whatever. It makes me want it to be, like, devoiced or something. (laughs) It's in front of a K. I'm like, K is devoiced. What's happening? So, anyway. I don't mind that, actually. K with breathy voice. (laughs) Well, it would be, like, unvoiced K, and then K would be, you know... Devoiced. Would be good. No aspiration. Aspiration? Whatever. Anyway, it's not important to this language. But, um, yeah. And I feel bad, like, complaining about these superficial things. But if I can't get past the surface, I can't get into it more, you know? Yeah. Well, it is. I was going to say, I don't know why she created this language. If this is mostly a personal language, she can spell it however she damn well please is. <laughs> and then there's another issue. I mean, for those few people who have internalized their language pretty strongly, why would you need to keep, why would you need to maintain a grammar? <laughs> you already know it. Or most yeah, of I it. Mean, I guess the point is to share it, but if you're going to share it, you know. Make uh, it- I would say as one of those people who can't really, has never really learned one of their conlangs to any great degree. Uh, Some grammar notes for your your own reference is a pretty good idea, but (laughs) put it online. Actually, Um, that's how I ended up learning. Like, I'm decent with a nyauk if I need to be, but that's ended how how I've learned it, is just actually going through writing the grammar just because I end up doing so many sample sentences with lovely glosses <laughs> that, you know, you internalize it. Yeah. Sorry, well, I'm going to harp on glosses forever. Yeah, honestly? <laughs> that's, that's her I, drinking game. That, I, don't, I don't blame you. I, I think more and more people ought to do glosses if they can, because I, I agree with you sometimes, especially if you're just taking a quick look at something, it is impossible to figure out the point being made. Especially with this being, I believe, OSV. Yes. I mean, to try and, like, put the elements properly and to see, you know, what's being added here and compare, it's kind of driving me nuts without the gloss. And it has both prefixes and suffixes, which also... Yes. ...can, can, can add to a little, a little confusion. Um, I love how she... So one of the things I always worry about when I start creating a language is perception, and in particular, perception I do on purpose, and perception that happens to me. So the difference between see and look at, between hear and listen to, or we might do the sort of middle sense that looks good, that sounds good. So that's yet another way for verbs and perception to work. And I love, love seeing someone else who's laid this out formally, she <laughs> her, her ambivolitional verbs, which she does by basically uh, switching their conjugation class, which made me happy. I thought that was nifty because she's so sensitive to intentionality. Obviously, C is something you do look at is intentional. So that's nice. Well... We're running a little long on time. Okay. So this is less to talk about Teonoth than it is about how you should document your language. <laughs> well, yeah. well, I mean, at the time, she couldn't have known. But 
I feel like maybe she's just gone on to move to different projects. I don't know. Maybe she had kids and stopped caring. But, you know, I think if she did want to revisit it and represent it, there's a lot of work yeah. she could do to make it more accessible. Yeah. But the language itself is fairly well-developed. Uh, I think that I think that's why I'm getting annoyed, because I feel like there's something there, and I just can't get to it because I don't have the focus to read through this. Maybe one of us should uh, help her update her website <laughs> and put her the grammar stuff that she has into a different format. But we're running a little long, but I really, really want to get to our feedbacks for today because I really wanted to acknowledge these. If you all are pretty much done with talking about Tana. Yeah, I could probably say more, but we should... Yeah, I'm just going to be harping on the same things. Yeah, but um, we got a comment on number four from the handle he uses, Kramlep. Uh, he says, thanks for the review of Shamel. As you will have gathered, I'm an amateur with no formal linguistics training, hence layout of the grammar, although, as you correctly surmised, it's more written from the point of view of the casual learner rather than a linguistics expert. It also has its tongue-in-cheek in its, in its cheek occasionally, hence I shall. I am currently at work on a much-revised edition of the dictionary, after which the next job is rewriting the grammar. I will definitely be taking your comments into account. I'm particularly glad that you both agreed that Shamel has its own character and feel. And then from Desmond on number five, as the inventor of the conlang Rangayo, uh, I feel very honored that my language was discussed this this week on the Conlangery podcast. I simply can't wait to listen to it first thing to do when I get back home this evening, which presumably he did. But I <laughs> no, he doesn't really want to talk to us ever again. <laughs> I thought we were but, generally nice to Rang Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, we were I mean, it's not like we pretty nice to it. Not like we killed on Tokipona. Yeah, yeah. Um, if the inventor of Tokipona listened to her episode, she probably doesn't want to talk to us. But uh, <laughs> and I don't want to talk to her, so it's fine. But um, I thought it was. I wanted to read those two emails because I thought it was really great that those guys got back to us and and talked about it. And uh, to the Shamel guy, I'm like, I say uh, thank you for you know taking our comments into account. But um, I I will say as much as we had little nitpicky things to talk about with that language, I thought it was very well done. Yes, and hopefully in his new one, he'll put some, you know, how the forms were derived. That was the one thing I was most interested to see. Yeah, some history would do well. So do uh, either of you two, have you done anything different with your, with your, differently with your languages since we've started doing this podcast? I actually started creating two uh, languages for my novel, and I used awkwards. I oh I started a new language and I'm gonna do uh, what was the verb thing from the last one that I was really happy with um, crap I don't remember what it's called 
I'm still recording, by the way. So it's uh, fine. No, can... that I I wanted this recorded. I thought this was okay. This is good. Um, what was uh, the one last time? The one with the guy in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Tevas. Yes, the verbs from there, which I guess is also verbs from the native languages Some as of them well. Nice. But yes. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing I did was created some different um, – in, in a one language I'm working on now, got a few more uh, family words than I normally would get this early. I ended oh, up- yes. We, yeah, that's, that's something I'm thinking about. That my, old, my older, my existing languages, family terminology would get really weird because of different things. But the languages I'm working on – now, I just have started just a phonology sketch and a bunch of randomly generated words. But um, I think I probably will do a lot of thinking about uh, kinship terminology. Cool. And now, probably a lot more thinking about formality than I would have. <laughs> oh, people, that reminds people me. Should, people listening should let us know if, if we've motivated you to do something different. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good thing. Email conlanger at gmail.com or leave a comment on this uh, on the show notes for this uh, episode if you have any changes to your languages that you made. That's a good idea. Indeed. All right. I put glosses. So we are over an hour with this episode, at least on the recording. So <laughs> I think we can wrap it up now. Yes. Happy conlanging. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find all our episodes and show notes, as well as subscribe to our iTunes or RSS feeds through conlangery.conlang.org. You can also like our Facebook page or follow at Conlangery on Twitter. If you would like to contact us with corrections, comments, questions, or suggestions, or even suggest your own conlang as a feature, please email conlangery at gmail.com or call into our new voicemail line, 304-873-6281. We also have a handy suggestions form on our site. Our theme music was created by Xander Vidalis.